Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group. What's next for Maryland's IT department, cyber collaboration in Iowa, and why vendors need to step in to help states with workforce woes. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world, and you'll learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. North Carolina has a new chief risk officer. Tory Crass will become the state's new cybersecurity lead. He previously worked as the CISO for the North Carolina State Board of Elections. Crass fills the vacancy left last winter with the retirement of former chief risk officer Rob Main. Virginia will drop degree requirements for the majority of state-classified jobs in July, including positions within the Commonwealth IT office. The change in requirements will cover nearly 90% of the Commonwealth's hourly and part-time jobs and is part of Governor Glenn Youngkin's administration's efforts to mitigate workforce issues and improve hiring processes. The U.S. Labor Department is making more than $650 million in funding from the American Rescue Plan available to states to help modernize their unemployment insurance systems. The announcement is the latest in several rounds of pandemic relief funding from the Labor Department and is designed to target fraudulent unemployment claims that tallied up to at least $60 billion during the pandemic. You can find these stories and more at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. The FCC is releasing an update to its national broadband map this week. State Scoop's Lindsay McKenzie has been following the story and is with us now. Lindsay, what's the latest from the FCC on this map right now? So the FCC published an updated map, and this is version two of the national broadband map. And it is a comprehensive list of all possible locations where high-speed internet could be installed. So with this update, I mean, how many how many new locations are there? What What's new Uh, for this map as opposed to the one that came out last fall? The first version of the map um, was published in November 2022, and it was described as a pre-production draft. Um, And it didn't include any feedback from the states or any feedback at all. Um, So the latest update reflects challenges and new data that the states, the cities, the towns, the tribes, the consumers have all provided to the FCC. And that is why we have a million new locations. And those million new locations are um, not a straight million addition. It's actually 2 million locations which were removed and 3 million which were added. That's super interesting. So so a million, I mean, you know, to a person who operates in zero to 100, that seems like a massive amount. But but I mean, in the scale of across the entire United States, that's not a massive number. I mean, what what is the significance of that million? What does that million actually mean uh, in the broader sense? So it's it's not insignificant, but in terms of potential funding, it's not going to make a huge difference. So this map is interesting because it's what the NTIA is going to use to distribute the BEAD funding, which is the broadband equity access and deployment funds um, that states will use to build out their broadband networks. So each state is going to get a portion of the funds based on the number of unserved locations in their state. Roughly, it's not a one-to-one correlation, but um, that is part of the calculation. So it matters, but not hugely. And what's the reaction been like from the, the FCC? What have their comments been on the map? And, and what are you hearing from, from states on the map? So the FCC keeps saying uh, this is very much a work in progress. It's going to get better as time goes on. Um, 
people and states will be able to continue challenging the map locations and the access data. Um, so it will continue to improve and they describe it as iterative, um, but this is the most updated, accurate map that we've had so far. And it is a big step up from the early FCC maps, which were based on census data. So um, in that sense, it's a big deal. It is a big improvement. Um, these states, I think, will have thoughts about it. I'm going to find out this week what they think of it. Um, definitely, it is the most accurate so far, but it might fall short of some expectations. And the, the stakes are high, right? You mentioned the bead funding and, and this being a big part of, of how those funds get distributed. Um, let's let's hear from you a little bit more about those bead fundings. That's that's something you've also been covering. What's the latest in, in bead funding uh, news right now? Yeah, so the NTIA has around $42 billion to distribute to the states. The decision of how that will be allocated will come around, if not before, June 30th. So that allocation is based on this map, which came out on Tuesday. And it is a big deal because this is really every state's opportunity to actually close that digital divide and finally connect everyone that is currently unconnected. Each state will get a baseline of around $100 million, which is a lot of money, but there are definitely some states, I think, that are going to feel that they missed out either because they didn't have a broadband office or they just didn't move quickly enough in submitting the data to the FCC. You can read more from Lindsay's coverage of the updated FCC map and bead funding at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. Lindsay, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Maryland's new CIO, Katie Savage, is looking to clarify service offerings to state agencies, bolster the state's cybersecurity, and focus on creating and delivering new services. Savage has been in the role for just a few months since joining Governor Westmore's administration. She comes from a background at the Defense Department and before that, the City Tech Collaborative. She tells me about her top priorities and projects and what's coming down the pipeline for Maryland IT. I'm thrilled to be part of the Miller Moore, Moore Miller administration. Um, and I have three big priorities that I'm super focused on. Um, one is really clarifying for our state agencies what is in our product and service catalog. Um, there's a lot of value that we can provide at the enterprise level. Um, so I want to make sure that agencies know what we offer um, and where you know, they're better positioned than we are to, um, to support their own agency. So that's one. Two, uh, I want to really double down on cybersecurity and uh, create more of a focus. And what I mean by that is we need to make sure that our cybersecurity team is tightly integrated with the enterprise products and services that we offer. Um, security and enterprise service go hand in hand. So we need to make sure that's happening. Um, we also um, you know, have started some programming where we're supporting Maryland counties. And I want to make sure that um, even as we're scaling, we're not losing sight of Maryland's most critical assets, and that those are where we, where we prioritize our, our cybersecurity work, uh, first and foremost. And the third area is, is kind of the fun stuff. Um, it's really around innovation. Um, I come from the digital service world. Um, I come from sort of startup and, and that whole ecosystem. And I'm really excited to bring Product, uh, product management, design, UX UI, data science, and engineering talents and to do it, because I want to be a partner, again, to state agencies on how we 
create and deliver new services that ultimately benefit Maryland residents. So, I mean, you're, you're no stranger to working within bureaucracy, and, yeah. and I'm sure that Maryland, to do any of those three items, Maryland has its own challenges, but also opportunities yeah. to get that stuff done. I mean, what are what are some of the things that, that you've seen that you're excited to dive in on uh, in working with other agencies and working with other folks across the state? Well, we, for example, we have a, a portal called OneStop, um, which is where you get your forms and licenses. And I think it's a it's something to build from. Yeah, there's a lot of other states that we're, we're seeing here today at, at NASIA that have just these incredible online, online portals that are super easy for their residents to get what they need. Um, and I think there's a way to expand that so that um, everyone is able to you know, very quickly cut through their own form of bureaucracy, um, whether they need um, health benefits or they're trying to get a permit we make that really streamlined and simple for people. And so, you know, you, you come from, again, the, the Defense Department and, and the federal government, uh, and now in a state government world. What's what's one thing that you wish state government would do that's more like what you saw at the federal level, and maybe one thing that, yeah. uh, then on the flip side, yeah. Well, I don't know if it's, it's cheating to say, <laughs> I want to bring um, something that I did at, at the, in the federal space that I'm really proud of is the, the talent. Um, attraction and retention. Um, you know, I think we have in the federal space started to make strides in terms of what we can offer to attract and retain talent. Um, you have you know, retention, relocation, other types of incentives. And I'm not sure that I've seen that at the state level just yet. Um, so I want to think about you know, how we can bring the best practices in hiring, which is something you know, I worked on a lot in the federal space to the state level, you know, kind of creating that state playbook for, for hiring, so that's one thing. Um, one thing I've been pleasantly surprised about at the state level that I think federal government should learn from, um, there's a lot more flexibility. You know, in, if there's a contract, uh, and this might just be uh, Governor Moore's administration, but if there is a, you know, a contract or a service that isn't working, um, you know, we're, we're able to sort of stop and pivot. And I think sometimes in the federal space, we have these behemoth, um, behemoth contracts that are really hard to sort of unwind and, and get right from a, a UX UI perspective. And when you're working on a smaller level, you have the opportunity to you know, work with the, with the vendors to, to reset to make sure that you're, you're getting you know, the, the product that ultimately starts resonating. Let's, let's dive in a little bit more on the recruiting and retaining talent bit. I mean, you know, Maryland is super interesting geographically. Uh, you have access to a lot of talent in, yeah. in big areas uh, around the state and near the state. Yeah. Uh, what are some of your plans when it comes to recruiting and retaining top talent in Maryland? In particular, I want to make sure that we have technical staff as part of doing. Um, we have incredible people that, that work on our team. Um, we do a lot of contract management and we do a lot of, sort of you know, fiscal oversight, um, but I want to make sure we also have the staff on our team who can you know, help other agencies if they're looking to you know, implement a SaaS product, for example. Um, we don't necessarily need to run them through a complicated ATO process, but you know, I would love to have more security engineers on the team, for example, who can do you know, quick product, or quick architecture review, for example, uh, to look at, um, you need to look at the sort of inherent nature of security of that product. 
Um, so I think just bringing more of that in-house technical expertise is, is really important to me. And again, building that playbook. Um, we've done a lot of work on that level at the, at the federal level, thinking about how we attract and retain talent. Um, I think we can do a great job with that. Um, there's also, I think, an economic development play. How do we bring more people to work in the state of Maryland and by getting them excited about the, the products and services we, tend to, we intend to create? Katie Savage, Chief Information Officer for the State of Maryland. You can read more about her at statescoop.com and in today's show notes. I'm Jake Williams, host of the Priorities Podcast. Next week on the show, you'll hear from Virginia CIO Bob Osmond about the latest in the Commonwealth's IT operations. You can subscribe to the show at PrioritiesPodcast.com and in links in today's show notes. Iowa is looking to engage local governments in the state on cybersecurity efforts. Matt Barron's the state CIO, says he's looking to bring municipal and county governments into the fold when it comes to sharing cyber resources. He tells me how he's trying to do that and what it means for Iowa. There are three things we're really excited about in the state of Iowa. The first relates to sort of our local government cybersecurity outreach efforts. So we're working across the state to help share some messaging there. We then have our broadband program, the Empower Rural Iowa broadband program, which is expanding broadband access. And then we're really looking at strategic planning out into the future, focusing on some fundamental things to help grow Iowa's technology portfolio. Yeah, so, so when we talk about the, the local government cyber outreach, I mean, this is a, a, a big challenge for every state, right? Every time I talk to a CISO or a CIO, yeah. I hear about you know, working with municipal governments is, is increasingly challenging. Uh, you know, and I, I, we, you know, the national landscape knows a little bit about the individual counties and players right. in Iowa. Right. Uh, what's that process been like for you? How, how have you worked yeah. to, to build some of those relationships? Well, I mean, it really starts with awareness. So we're trying to go out and share the message about the services that we have available today because we have a pretty comprehensive portfolio of IT capabilities that are pretty turnkey for a local government. And so we want them to be aware, first of all, that that's there. But we also want them to really understand us, some of our priorities, who we are, and how we can help serve them and help keep them safe going forward. So building awareness, relationship building, outreach to associations, and being really out in our communities, that's what it's all about. Yeah, and, you know, I bet another uh, another priority of yours that requires a lot of that local coordination is broadband. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you're at in that journey and sort of what's, uh, what's on your plate. Yeah, so we've been running a broadband program in Iowa since 2015. We're on the fifth generation of our broadband map, which is now location-based, so you can see your house on our map and see about the conditions of broadband, so that's exciting. We're also headed into our eighth grant, so we've given out $350 million of funding across the state. When that's completed, that'll be about 115,000 Iowans that didn't have broadband service before that'll be served through those programs. We're getting ready for a capital projects fund program that'll do another $150 million in grants this year. And then we'll have, obviously, the NTIAB program that's coming down the road. What we're really excited about right now, though, is we created a community-based process where communities across the state can self-identify that they have a, uh, an area of critical need for broadband investment and really help us prioritize the funding. So we're very excited about that. And, and the last part you mentioned was sort of some of that, that internal work, right? That like hard work mm -hmm. in IT, things like governance, things like strategy. Yeah. Uh, take us through some of your thinking there and, yeah. and how you're navigating that. Well, when I came into this role, I had been here for 20 years, and so I understood some of the challenges that we faced and really wanted to start with some foundational elements, how we do governance, how we think about relationship building with the agencies, and how we begin to move forward together rather than as, as individual isolated groups. So we're really focused this year building those relationships and strategic planning 
that will help us lay that foundation for the future. And that's governance, that's understanding enterprise architecture, all those basic components that'll help us grow and, and you know, be more successful down the road. When, when you're working with, you know, whether it's uh, elected leaders or, or uh, other decision makers in your state, how are you kind of conveying and communicating the importance of something as nuanced as governance yeah. to them to make sure that they can get something out of well, it? Well, you know, what always gets people attention is how we're doing procurement today, that we're buying things in different ways and that we have systems that might be duplicating each other. And so governance is a great opportunity to talk about how can we begin to bring these together? We have a system over here and a system over here. They're doing similar things. How can we help to do that? And that gets attention because we want to reduce duplication. We want to make sure we're doing things efficiency. And governance is a really important way to get that discussion started. Yeah. So, so I'm a I'm a newly uh, living Midwest resident. Are you? Congratulations. Uh, thanks. Welcome, yeah. So, so when you come to a place like this and a conference like this, how are you talking about what makes a place like Iowa unique and, and what maybe you have to offer to, to folks like this? Well, I mean, Iowa is a, such a special place. And you know, one of the reasons that I continue to work for the state of Iowa is I care about our state and I care about helping our communities thrive and grow. And I think I have a special opportunity in this job to do that. But to me, when you look across our state, what really, uh, to me, stands out is the strength of our rural communities. And so I think that's really something that's you know, untapped potential there for involving those communities and thinking about how we can do technology, how we can build centers around the state to do some of those things. We're also you know, thinking about workforce and really engaging those folks. So I think come to Iowa, it's a wonderful place to live, it's a wonderful place to raise a family and a wonderful place to, to work. Matt Barron's the Chief Information Officer for the state of Iowa. You can read more about him and cybersecurity collaboration at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. It's no secret that state IT offices are facing a workforce challenge. Cisco's Mike Witzman, who's spent the last half decade in the state and local markets, says vendors need to get ready to be in the business of helping states build their IT workforces. Witzman is a winner in this year's State's Q50 Awards. He tells me how he got into the sled market and how he thinks IT vendors need to help governments with the workforce. Well, probably started when I was young uh, as a military kid, uh, so kind of used to that sphere of public service. Um, and then I went off uh, you know, after college. I was in the Air Force myself. Um, and I've always loved technology. Um, so I've come up in the technology realm, uh, Cisco 23 years, and about five years ago, um, I rotated over into this public service space with state, local education, government, and have absolutely fallen in love with the mission, um, with the customers, and the impact uh, that we get to make on our local communities. Yeah. So it's, it's always exciting to talk to folks leading in the private sector because of all the various things that they have going on and the trend that they're seeing that you know folks in the, in the weeds in individual states might not be seeing. So what, when you look out across the landscape, what are you seeing? What's top of mind for you? That's a great question. So um, I'll start with one of the biggest ones we're seeing now, which is actually a relatively new phenomenon, is uh, a workforce shortage, not just in IT, but across all uh, government agencies. So you name it, whatever the mission is, they're running sometimes 60 to 80% of the people that they used to have. Um, so we're finding that uh, the result of that is it's accelerating this umbrella of digital government uh, and delivering self-service uh, for automation inside the mission, for call centers that have uh, artificial intelligence uh, baked into them, uh, as well as for tools that make the, those workers that you do still have in that mission uh, more impactful and allows them to scale out uh, to the mission. So workforce shortage is number one. You cannot have a conversation today uh, without workforce being an element of how you're thinking about uh, how you're going to achieve that. And then I'd say the second biggest one, and this has been for a long time running, is cybersecurity. 
um, no surprise for nine years in a row. It's been number one uh, on the state CIO priority list uh, for NASIO's survey. Um, and in that area, you know, states are playing an outsized role uh, for the entirety of their state and not just, you know, they have a lot to, to do themselves with uh, managing and protecting the data and their systems and their mission uh, within their agencies, but they're playing an outsized role now in coordinating for all this, the locals um, and, and how they're coordinating on the solutions that they use, on notification, on incident response, and then building resilience um, into all the systems across the state, not just the state systems, so reaching out to those cities, and counties, and schools. And so let's talk about workforce first, right? And so uh, I, I always think it's interesting that, that we talk a lot about how technology can help workforce shortages and the workforce crisis, but we also talk about how important the role of, of people are in this process. So, you know, when you're talking to folks across the space, I mean, how are you balancing the two and, and giving them, you know, some hope for a path forward? Absolutely. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to advocate for IT first because we need more people in IT. So when I say that we're accelerating digital government, that it does take people to design, build uh, those systems. So we're we're going to be in the in the business of uh, building workforces, which we do a lot at Cisco via our Network Academy and our SkillsForAll.com and a lot of our corporate social responsibility. We're 25 years invested into building more IT workforce. So we, we have to do that part. Um, but I think what we get down to is the idea that that we have a mission, right? In government, there was a mission of what we need to deliver the services out to citizens, and, and that's going to involve people. It won't be, it, it has a humanity element to it, and it will require people, and it's what are we asking those people to do? If we're asking them to do anything routine, anything uh, that we could automate, um, and, and really have them in those moments of uh, when they're needed the most, so that they can respond to the most urgent needs um, that are out there for our people. They can do the critical thinking that's required. So it's automate as much as we can, apply tools to do as much as we can so that the people are there when they're needed at the moment that they're needed the most. You, you mentioned cyber and, and again you're, you're right it's been the top of the priority list for, for so long. I mean uh, from your perspective from the folks that you're talking to what are those big trends big things in cyber right now that are that are so essential that we get right at this moment? I think that a lot of this stuff, like multi-factor authentication, a lot of things have sort of been, you know, how do you protect against ransomware have sort of been absorbed at this point. Um, I think we're really locking in on a North Star of zero trust. It means a lot of things to a lot of different people, but see a lot of commitment to that as, as that. When we look at security, it requires everyone. Everyone is in the security business. If you use, touch, administer a system, so even the users. Um, so playing that team sport, really Zero Trust brings those concepts to the forefront of how do you play that team sport um, called, uh, called cybersecurity. Then I think from the private sector, um, we're bringing uh, simpler tools to consume, more of a platform approach versus a product approach. Uh, more automation, more artificial intelligence, machine learning, and, and more capabilities to, just like I said before, to automate as much as humanly possible um, so that we still have humans, but they're just dealing with those highest priority things that require some uh, intellectual context to, to, uh, to sort out. Mike Witzman, the Senior Director of Systems Engineering for U.S. SLED at Cisco. You can read more about him and meet the rest of the 2023 StateScoop 50 Award winners at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. You can subscribe to the Priorities Podcast at PrioritiesPodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, be sure to leave a review or rating on the podcast page. They make it more likely that more people will find the show. 
This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Carlin Fisher helps put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.